0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week, we turn to the book of Colossians, where during this sermon, we look at battling worldly philosophies with biblical principles. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, as Pastor Josh LaGrange delivers his sermon titled, Empty Philosophies. and then pray. Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask, O God, that you will bless um, our time of worship here. Father, we know that what we are about to engage in, the study of your word, Lord, there is just nothing, there is there is nothing of greater importance than what will happen in this time, oh God. Lord, what you, what you accomplish in your people, how you transform us, how you are making us into who you want us to be, preparing us for the next world. And Lord, then calling of lost souls to yourself. Father, we pray that you will work here. We know there is a battle being fought in the heavenly world right now over how we will respond to these truths. And I just ask, oh God, that you will glorify your name by bringing us to bow and worship, by bringing us to respond in faith, in obedience, in worship, that you will transform, oh God. So Lord, we ask that you send your spirit. We ask, oh God, that you make this time profitable. Uh, Father, I pray we will all receive your truth. I pray that it has... It's great intended effect. And Lord, help me to preach, not be distracted, not to be distracting, not get in the way, but just to faithfully communicate these truths and communicate and be faithful to your word, oh God. So please bless this time. We pray for the little ones of our congregation back in the Bible study today. Father, we pray that you take care of them, bless them. And I just pray, Lord, that the truths that they are being taught will result in a great harvest of their souls that you will form them up and build them into a mighty army of gospel workers and faithful disciples. So Lord, please bless for the glory of your name. Please bless all of this, Lord. We ask it through Christ. Amen. What I want to do this morning, um, breaking from the series that we're in, I want to address... Our uh, high school graduates who are very soon leaving us to head off to college. I will do my best not to awkwardly make eye contact with you the whole time. And I want to assure you that what I say, um, nearly every sentence is very easily applicable to every soul in the room. So, you know, I'm not only speaking to you this morning I'm happy to have an occasion to get to say these kinds of things to every single one of us throughout the day I do want to try to um, address various groups within the church with some of the applications that are here so what we're going to look at is watch out for empty philosophies this applies to everybody this applies to your church's leaders One of the things we have seen over the last year, especially, are even our nation's pastors fall for empty philosophies. This applies to every single one of us. So nobody's allowed to zone out. But to you graduates who do happen to be, our graduates all are happen to be heading off to college, And I really ask the youth in the room, any children who are here to be thinking about the fact that your day is coming here soon as well. Lean in and heed these words. But for all of us, We want to look at what scripture has to say here. If you're a note taker, I will have some sections that you can write some stuff down. But first, what I want to do is just address and preach in some overall ways, the subject that we have here in this verse. For you who are college bound, you are about to encounter philosophies of the world in a way that you probably haven't yet. You've encountered various philosophies. You've been dealing with these things, but there's a new way that you're going to encounter them that has not, has not been there yet. These philosophies of the world are seductive. And they're seductive in a number of ways. For one, it is just a difficult thing when you find yourself in a situation that entirely the culture all around you, you may find yourself sitting in a classroom where even an intelligent professor and all of the students around you all believe something and are all pressuring you to believe something. It is just the way of the world that people can't even go along with this. It takes an uncommon kind of courage and grit to swim against the current that is coming against you. And by the way, even when that philosophy is clearly irrational, as so many of them are, but secondly, they're also seductive just because every worldly philosophy appeals to the flesh in some kind of way. And so the spirit of God addresses us believers in this passage And in a way that is pretty straightforward, you know, some places of the Bible require a lot of explanation before the light bulb comes on. This is not a hard passage. It preaches itself. This is a passage to memorize and recall over and over again. There are philosophies competing for your heart. And what we are told is not to cave in cowardice. Not to, not to be lured by the world and swallow the bait, drink the Kool-Aid, pick your metaphor. Not to just let yourself be carried by the current of the river of culture, but to stand. To stand clinging to Christ. There is a word of watchfulness Over and over again, the Bible calls us to be vigilant, be alert, let us not sleep as others sleep, but be awake, looking for what is happening, observing, using discernment that we gain from the scriptures to see through the fog of what is happening. And particularly to you, youth, college grads, There is a word you need to hear as well. And the intention here is not to to try to give a, a message of doom, you know, in any kind of way. There should be excitement and delight and ambition about the adventure you're setting out on. But there is also a heavy word of warning we ask you to hear. All too often, there is this just sort of, ah, you'll be fine kind of attitude that is delivered. You've probably already heard this at your graduation parties and, and, and well-meaning kinds of words from family members, uncles and aunts who said something along the lines of, ah, you're going to be fine. You're a good kid. And what I want to tell you is when you hear that kind of thing, that person who said that has a very low standard. And I'm just telling you, that's not your God's standard. Your God has a high standard for you. He expects a lot out of you. (laughs) It really doesn't matter if that makes you nervous, it's the truth. Your God God has a great calling for you to live for His glory in the way that He designed, and it's going to take all of you. There is going to come a point you are shaken to the core but we are told to cling to Christ. He has commissioned you to go forth and multiply, go flourish, go bear fruit, go make disciples of the nations, go build cities, go fight injustice, go confront the wicked, live as salt and light in a world that is cursed and leans away from God and the current is always pushing you away from him. Everything about that is gonna be hard. Everything about that is going to require courage and grit. And you also need to know a statistic. Again, I don't say this to try to bring a message of doom, but to give a healthy word of warning. There is a statistic that you need to know. The reality is most church kids... Now, we also know where the majority of churches are right now, and that is a great deal of the problem here, but it is the fact that most church kids head off into the world and abandon faith in Christ. They are lured in by the philosophies of the world and deny the gospel. And so part of what we are appealing to you is to realize if you are going to be faithful, it is not going to be easy and you cannot just assume that it is going to be automatic that you are going to walk in all of the ways of greatness that your God calls you to. At some point, you are going to be shaken to the core and it is going to be a war to keep watch over your soul and remain faithful to Christ. But that applies to every one of us. This is the reality of living in a cursed world. Be watchful. The Bible shows us in places like 1 Timothy 4, if you wanna jot that down and read it on your own sometime, maybe this afternoon, that there are demonic spirits at work in this world and among the other ways that they work, they labor to influence how we think. In other words, men will come up with ideas and the man or woman thinks the idea came from them. When the reality is it was whispered to them by demonic forces. I believe the Bible shows this to be a regular part of life, not just a, a rare kind of thing. That every day the enemy is whispering tempting thoughts and that includes these various philosophies, demons, are at work to bring mankind to believe anything other than the biblical gospel, which brings glory to God and saves their soul. And so in this world, philosophies, ideologies, and various worldviews abound. Your worldview, your worldview is how you see the world. It is your perspective The Christian and the atheist looks at all the same things, but see in very different ways. The Christian and the atheist sees the same sunset. The Christian marvels at the glory of God and worships. The atheist says, huh, light rays bouncing off of dust particles. They're seeing the same thing, coming to different conclusions, your worldview is formed by what you believe. Every single sentence of the, I don't know, 10,000 individual beliefs that you have in your brain, even the, even the small ones, even the secret ones that we're not even all the, all the time aware that are there, every single one of them is forming how you see the world. But there are some big foundational parts of your worldview I want to tell you the five most important, the five most critical questions that form your worldview. And then I want to spend, I don't know, 15 minutes or so just kind of looking at these things and then come back to our overall thought, but this is significant. I want to illustrate here how your worldview affects you. Here Here are the five most important questions of a worldview. Number one, who is God? Number two, where did I come from? Number three, what's wrong Number four, what's the solution? And number five, where am I going? So let me kind of take each one of these. I want to paint a picture of how your worldview affects the entirety of your life. I want to show you kind of what the Bible means here by the various philosophies. And if you look at the language at verse eight again, we're told not to fall captive to these through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men. So, so man-made ideas, ideas and ideologies and worldviews, according to the elementary principles of the world. So not what is heavenly and exalted, the wisdom of God. The angels are able to look into the world and they see some of these absurd philosophies and they're like, how could anybody be that dumb? It's not lofty and exalted, but here are humans thinking they're so sophisticated, the most intelligent on the world, when actually it's the elementary principles of the world that just keep getting recycled over and over again rather than according to Christ. So let me try to paint the picture here of what opposing philosophies would look like compared with the truth. So number one, who is God? We would also add to that question, and what is he like? Because that's, that's part of what we mean of who is he? There is no other question that will determine more of your life than this one right here. The absolute greatest need of man in history is to know God. Even as Christians who believe in the same God, okay? So take, take Christians from two different households or two different churches, but one of them knows deeply the holiness of God, And the other has a shallow understanding of God. Those two who even hold to the same technical God, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will live very different lives based on what they know about him. The Christian who knows deeply the holiness of God will live a transformed life of submission, obedience, worship, gratitude, will take risk, will be willing to die. People are asking the question, who is God every single day? And they do not even know it, even secularist. Every single conversation on planet Earth originates and comes out of what you believe about Who God is and what he is like. Politics, sex, money, houses, children, all of it. What you will do on Friday night. It is all affected by what you believe about who he is. How seriously do you take him? And by the way, you will never know who you are until you understand who he is. He is your reference point. But secondly, where did I come from? The second foundational question, where did I come from? Let me see if I can illustrate something here about the power of various worldviews. You know, Darwin's theory of macroevolution has become the primary stance of those who embrace naturalism. Naturalism is the belief that all that exists is what is natural. No, supernatural. So no God, no creator, no angels, no afterlife. So you who are in public school, high school, you who are heading off to secular universities and such. You're gonna study Darwin. You're gonna study the theory of evolution. You're gonna hear the title of his book. Well, let me tell you something that you will not hear. Your professor is not going to tell you the full title of his book. That professor is gonna lie to you. That professor is gonna tell you that the title of Charles Darwin's book was On the Origin of the Species. That's a lie. It's not the title of the book. There's a reason why as you talk about this book, none of your college professors are going to have you read the book. There's a reason why. Here's the reason why. The full title of the book is On the Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. And the reason why you will never hear uh, the full title of that book is because the professor wants to hide from you the reality of the main case that Darwin makes in that book. He makes the case that mankind is divided into races, an unbiblical view, by the way. The Bible teaches mankind is not divided into races, But Darwin makes the case mankind is divided into races and that all of the other races except for white are all inferior. He goes on to make the case that if all of these other races were to be eliminated from the gene pool, then that would be a good thing. You may remember from several years back me telling you the story about an African man who came to the United States by the name of Oda Binga. And he was actually kept, this is 1904 to 1906. That is not that long ago was kept in two different zoos in the United States, St. Louis and the Bronx Zoo. He was kept amongst the apes as a display of evolutionary theory. The belief that he was just a, a, a couple steps above the apes. It was actually Christians who raised the fuss about this. The New York Times actually wrote an article. You can still look up the article today. The New York Times wrote an article bashing Christians and the fuss they were making about this reality and declaring that the zoo is where he belonged. Later, Darwin's theories were embraced by a man who, man who simply acted them out consistently, and in the wake of his action, tens of millions of lives were destroyed. Adolf Hitler was simply a consistent Darwinist. Ideas have consequences. Your worldview determines the trajectory and the path that you will live on. Your worldview matters. Where did I come from? The Bible teaches that you were created ex nihilo, out of nothing, by the infinitely glorious God, creator of the cosmos. You were designed in his very image as the chief of his creation. You were put in the position of sub-ruler beneath him. Given the commission to go bear fruit, to multiply, to flourish, fill the earth, subdue it. You were made to live in joyful, worshiping relationship with the God who made you. And as you lived in this joyful, worshiping relationship, you would come to the greatest delight and fulfillment that is possible. When when the Bible says statements like, from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. I mean, I know it's a, it's a nice verse. We can put it on a coffee mug. But do you understand God's saying bigger things than just something that's nice? God is showing origin, purpose, point, destination, eternity. Thirdly, what's wrong? The philosophies of the world, you'll notice this, they all point to something different as what is the big problem. Like what is the root problem? So all kinds of philosophies will all see the same thing and can call an action bad, but it's how they define like, what is the great need of mankind? Naturalism sees the root problem of mankind in a completely material way. Shallow Christianity, Shallow cultural, I, I hate to even use the word Christianity. It is, it is really just becoming its own philosophy in itself. It shallow cultural churchianity around us looks at the world and essentially just smiles and makes the declaration. Everybody's pretty fine. We're all, we're all okay. You know, everybody just needs to be nicer and recycle more. The current Marxist movement sees the great root of the evil in the world as whiteness. The Bible teaches that the fall of mankind from the state wherein we were created in holiness and happiness, in fellowship with God, the fall from that has brought us into the state of misery and depravity. To sum it up briefly, the root of mankind's problem is sin. Sin is the rebellion against how God designed us to live. Sin has broken our fellowship with God. Sin has brought the curse on this world and sin has brought us to a place that now what we deserve is an eternity of the wrath of God being received in the just punishment for our sins. Sin is what has brought the corruption and the devastation that is here. Sin is why there is war murder, rape, deceit, lies, politics, the way that it is. But sin is also what has brought even things like disease and the fact that your body will wear out. So then question number four, what's the solution? Well, every philosophy that sees a different root problem also offers a different solution. Here's here's the thing that mankind needs. If the great problem of the world is that everybody just needs to be nicer, well, then the answer is more hugs or education or whatever. Politicians, you'll notice, are always declaring that they have the great answer. Just vote for me and I will create utopia. I will bring about the remedy to all of society's ills. The current Marxist movement declares that the solution to the world's problem is just Marxism, if we had it in place, the world would work as it should. But over and over again, this is one of, this is one of the things, studying history, by the way, and especially church history, it's like, it, it's like it builds a fence around your mind, okay? As these philosophies come charging at you, they got to stop at the fence and you can analyze them. Studying history just shows over and over again, every time mankind comes to these ideas, here's the root problem and here's the great solution. And then they do the great solution and society crumbles. It's kind of like, okay, that didn't work. And if you know history, you're able to look and be like, we've tried that before, doesn't work. The Bible teaches that if sin is our great problem, it has resulted in what we deserve, the wrath of God for all of eternity. Our greatest need is to have our sin problem taken care of so that we can be restored to a right relationship with God, be forgiven of our sins, have a hope of eternity, receive eternal life, and for God to redeem the earth that we broke. God did not have to, but in grace, he designed the solution. The solution is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The solution is that God made a way through the substitutionary death and resurrection of his son that now all who come to Christ, all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, turning to him in a repentant faith, calling out for the forgiveness of sins to be made right with God, all who come have our greatest need addressed. We are brought to right relationship with God, forgiven of our sins, given the promise of future cleansing, the kingdom of God to come, the eternal state. This is what all of the Bible is about, start to finish. There's a reason why the Bible from start to finish is not just a kind of how-to manual as sometimes people think of it of like, oh, here's a how-to on how to parent or a how-to on how to be successful. Start to finish, it is about the gospel. Because this is mankind's greatest need and the great solution that God has made. If you are here this morning and you have never turned to Christ, the great need you have is to be made right with God and you're not right with him from birth. You must come to him through the Lord Jesus, trusting in him to be saved. And then lastly, number five, where am I going? Naturalism believes there is no afterlife There is no judgment and therefore, there is no ultimate accountability. If there is no ultimate accountability, men will do as they please. And some will reach even the great heights of evil, which is why many of the most horrendous societies of history have been atheistic cultures including communism. Communism is just one form that an atheistic culture can take. Just a completely secular culture would be another way, but just communism itself is responsible for, let, let these numbers sink in. It is estimated over the last, we'll just, we'll just say century and a half that nearly 100 million lives, starved, murdered, tortured, or in some way unjustly put to death, nearly 100 million. China alone, it is estimated is responsible for 76 million starvation of its own people and death in various ways. Shallow cultural churchianity, which is just all the time saying, everybody's fine. You know, we're all going to heaven. You know, you show up at a funeral, and the wussy preacher stands up there and goes, Yo, Jim Bob's just a real nice guy. Man, he give you the shirt off his back. How many times have you heard that kind of thing? You know, he's in heaven because he was a nice guy. And everybody sitting there goes, Oh man, if Jim Bob's in heaven, I got drunk with him every weekend. Uh, surely I'm okay. By the way, one of the interesting trends you can notice is that we've now gone several generations where shallow cultural churchianity is now the majority, and we've gone that way for a time. You'll notice what it is producing. You've got all of these church kids living like atheists. How does that happen? I thought they went to church. You know, how, how did they not pick up anything? Well, listen, just like the atheist who believes there is no ultimate accountability, what happens when church kids are raised to believe that God's a big genie in the sky, just giving out heaven to anybody and nothing that you do matters? There are no consequences. Men will do what they please when they do not believe there are any consequences. It's also similar to what can happen in poorly taught Baptist churches. This has been something in in our circles as well. When there is a, a poorly taught understanding, they're not taught the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, that the true people of God persevere to the end that obedience is demanded of us that we show our salvation by the bearing of fruit and they just hold on to a line that they misinterpret and twist of once saved always saved which they take to mean once I say a prayer at VBS at eight years old I'm good to go it doesn't matter what I do they also end up living like atheists. the bible teaches us what is coming the fulfilling of the great commission The return of our Lord, the establishing of the kingdom of God, the day of judgment where I will answer for every moment and every act. There are rewards for obedience to God. There is loss of rewards for disobeying God. There is a glorious state of eternity that God has designed that is so rich with glory. We are told that every suffering you could endure on this earth, including at the hands of wicked men is only light, momentary affliction. What we believe about these things determines how we will live. And the point is how you answer these questions and what you believe down to the the depths of your convictions and know them intimately forms how you look at the world. Every single sentence of what you believe is forming you. You are being formed. By your thinking. I mean, you can take even simple statements. Take a simple statement like in the Bible, we are told that we will be vindicated that anyone who mocks you or persecutes you uh, because of your faith in Christ, that they are going to see you honored and receive rewards. You are going to receive glory from God in the presence of your enemies. Just even that one little thought right there has just transforming kinds of effects that it has. Every sentence you believe forms you. But these five that I mentioned are the most foundational. So, After looking at those, let me kind of come back to the main flow of thought here. The armies of darkness have worked and are working to introduce all kinds of various philosophies and worldviews in an attempt to keep people from the truth of the gospel. Darwinism, feminism, Marxism, modern psychology, modern sexual theories, and listen, there are isms not even on our radar yet, that in five years, we're all going to have to be thinking through. That's the way some of these go. Some of these are so irrational that we just think, surely that's never going to become a problem. And like, oh, five years later. Yep, no, didn't see that one coming. You want to know one of the new ones that's on the radar right now? The normalization of pedophilia. That's about as irrational as you can possibly get, but this is what happens when God gives over a people to themselves. And by the way, philosophies just keep getting recycled. Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun over and over again in history. The same few dozen philosophies, they just cycle back in. Every time, you know, there's a, there's a little, you know, a rebranding. There's a couple twists each time. And then the people who are, you know, they come to it. They think they're just revolutionaries. If they'd studied history, they would know this has come and gone before. We saw it doesn't work, but man, they think they're hip. They think they're on the, the new cutting edge of the newest revolution. We're gonna change the world and create utopia. And it all ends up falling apart. And what happens is it hasn't been around for a while. And so they don't understand that it is just an elementary principle. See, so you, you see that language there in, in verse eight. It's, it's interesting the way that it's spoken there. These, these various empty philosophies, they're just they're just elementary principles. Not the wisdom of God, not the high and lofty things that are true, but the ideas of men. And if you walk with Christ for decades, you're going to see this over and over again. This is just going to be a regular part of the Christian life. You're going to see fads and crazes come and go. They, they come into culture, takes it by storm. There's a big frenzy that all comes. And there's this pressure. You'll also notice that every time that that happens, there's always the hip churches that are always jumping on the bandwagon. You know, it's, it's embarrassing the hip, cool churches, they're all chasing the world like, like you know, hey, hey, guys, I'm cool too. Look, I'm saying just what you're saying. I'm cool too. It's pathetic. But over and over again, it happens. There is a time here where we are in a place that if you are a Christian, you are going to have to be okay with being called racist or sexist. And the, you know, the words keep getting invented, you're homophobic, transphobic, Islamophobic, whatever word gets made up next, and this pressure to insult and to accuse us of unrighteousness. But we gotta see it for what it is. We, we look out at the nation and we see these Marxist riots taking place. And by the way, who are they largely comprised of? It's not entirely, but it is largely comprised of college age students. Why? What's going on there? It got cool. It got, it got labeled as cool, and you're uncool if you're not okay with this. And so you just look out at, at mobs of pick-thanks. Pick-thanks, that's the word John Bunyan uses in Pilgrim's Progress to refer to those who are, they're on board and they're yelling, but they don't really know why they're yelling. You know, they didn't come to this conclusion because they logically thought through everything, it's everybody else is yelling, I don't want to be left out here. It's just mobs of pick thanks. These philosophies get popular. Christians disagree and then get mocked relentlessly, told we hate science, hate women, hate knowledge, all of these various things. But you got to be able to endure clinging to Christ and not fall Captive. Many of you remember the pop psychology craze of the late 90s and early 2000s. You remember that one? When all of the, everybody was labeled with a disorder. You know, three quarters of the kids in school were all put on pills because everybody's got a disorder. Christians really took a beating for sticking to our guns and having the audacity to say you're responsible for your actions. And then a decade passes, that one didn't last very long. So this is one of the easier ones to see. A decade passes and then even the secular psychology world looks back and goes, yeah, we really got that one wrong, but, but now we totally got it figured out. So listen to everything that we say. I remember being in high school in the biology, uh, biology during the evolution section. I remember our teacher showing us the mold. Remember the mold of the missing link. Some of you remember that. We were told it's definitive now, you know, we have found the missing link and had this entire skull based off of what was approximately eight square inches of just like right up there bone fragments that had been found. I remember my biology teacher speaking to me like I was just an unreasonable idiot that just refused to see logic and reason for disagreeing. Well, then years later, this is not a joke, by the way. You can look this up. I hope you look this up. That model, which was shown to millions of high school students across the United States, those little bone fragments were found to actually come from a pig skull. That's not a joke. But you know what didn't happen? What didn't happen is, is all the millions of students who went through and sat in that biology class, they weren't contacted and apologized to, to be like, oh, you know, we really got this wrong. I am so sorry for this. No, just the world moves on and they keep saying, we totally got it right now. Listen to everything that we say. You're going to see this over and over again, Christian. This is going to be a part of life. You got to have the courage not to fall for it. You gotta have the courage to keep clinging to the truth, endure till the end. Your God is going to vindicate you one day. You have to wait for the glory that is to come and not try to take glory now by the approval of men. So a primary word here is to root yourself in Christ. Do the work, because it does take work, to root yourself in Christ. And keep doing the work to grow those roots so that your senses will be trained to discern. That's language from the book of Hebrews. Have our senses trained to be able to discern what is true and what is error. Let me say a couple words of application, particular to the graduates, and then I'll move on to some others here. Particular to the graduates, exhortation, own the faith is your own. You now enter a stage where you have to come to your own personal convictions. Now, we believe and we hope that this has already started happening, but you're going to have to lead yourself in ways that you have not had to before. Thus far, you have largely been protected by the faith of your parents and the faith of your church family. So thus far in your life, there are certain moral decisions like we don't watch trash movies. That has largely been based on the faith of your parents, you will now have to come to convictions on your own. You will now have to make decisions for yourself. You now leave their constant care. You now leave that daily kind of accountability with them. The convictions you have been taught will now need to become your convictions. You must own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And closely connected with that, secondly, Scripture instructs all of us, but we are given this as a particular word of exhortation. This will be critical now. Scripture instructs all of us, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And what that means is there are certain actions we should take every single day, which strengthen us, it grows our love for God, our faith in Him, our godliness, it, our worship. It is it is building us, it is growing us. These are the means of grace. Uh, we mentioned that last week, the means of grace are all of the actions that God has given us that we're able to engage with God in worship, the reading of scripture, time and prayer, fasting, memorizing, all of these kinds of things. These means of grace that God has given us, are a thousand times more important than any of us considers, but hear this, millions have good intentions that never end up amounting to anything. Millions have good intentions, but who simply turn out to be, I know this will sound mean, but I am just trying to be honest here, just disappointing puddles of mediocrity or worse. Great intentions alone will not make you fruitful. You will have to add to great intentions the discipline, the self-control, the gumption to act. And by act or show up, what it means is just do the thing that needs to be done. To, to turn off the TV, pick up the book, uh, put the phone down, to, to read the word, to, to take the walk, to spend time in prayer. The, the gumption to do the action that is the means of grace. Do the actions that you know will form you. All of this seems probably to be so easy and, and so simple that sometimes we're tempted not to say it. But listen, the church's job is to state the things that are obvious sometimes. Root yourself in a new church family. Here, here's, let me put it like this. In 1 Corinthians 5, there was a man that Paul was telling the church there to discipline. He was in ongoing unrepentant sin. Paul said he needs to be put out of the fellowship. He's not allowed to be a part of this anymore. And you you know how scripture speaks of that? It says he was given over to Satan. So how, how does God view to not be rooted in a church family where there is a watch care over your soul? It is to be given over to Satan. Root yourself in a new church family. Never stop pushing forward to strengthen. But let me also, with this in mind, let me give a word of application to a couple other groups in the church. Parents, let me address you for a moment. The goal of parenting is not to keep your babies as babies and in your nest for all of life. The goal of parenting is to raise them up, train them up, equip them Root them in Christ, mold, shape, get them ready, and then send them out. Parents who don't have the children at this stage yet, it can sometimes seem so far away, but listen, that day's coming. The the, the Bergs and the Hartwigs, their babies, okay, their oldest are heading off. Now your day's coming too, parents. Train them for it. The only way we accomplish anything of any value in life is to see the end goal and then work backwards. How do I get there? This day is coming. What, what, what do we want, these, these young ones who are heading out, what do we want them to know? What equipping, what character, what work ethic, what knowledge of even practical things like how to balance a checkbook, but, but what knowledge of church history, what theology, what apologetic studies do we want them to know? We gotta work backwards we got to train them up in order to send them out. Parents, this is our job. This is our calling. One of the absolutely devastating things happening in our culture, and I know I've said this before, but I will say it again. This is important for us to understand. This is absolutely the plan of our enemy. The average parent in our land has just abdicated the role of parenting, has just turned over the role of parenting to the world, education and raising, and for Christians, want the visible church, I will say, one of just the greatest indictments on the visible church in America is that if believers in our land, If we had done the work of the Great Commission, I mean, if we had done nothing else, no other evangelism and no other missions, but had only done the work of the Great Commission of making disciples in our households, the gospel would still be advancing. The church would still be growing even numerically. But instead, what is happening? The numbers of the visible church are declining. Do you know what is also crazy about that? American seculars are not having babies. That's the, st- that's the statistics. American seculars are not having children. Christians, on the other hand, have lots of babies for good reason. But I want you to think about, according to the numbers, what should be happening. American secularism should be coming near to extinction. The visible church is having babies. So, what should be happening? Do you know what is happening? The opposite. The opposite. What has happened? The visible church in America has failed to make disciples in the place that it matters most in our own homes and the university has become the greatest evangelist of the corrupt secularist gospel. The visible church has given their children over to Caesar and Caesar has made Romans of them. What we are seeing is an opposite kind of effect that has happened and so listen, parents, I just want to give this warning. We cannot raise our children like everybody else around us and expect that it's all going to turn out okay. We cannot raise our children like the world around us, but just happen to attend church and think that that's going to make disciples. The Bible shows in our own experience is clearly verifying it takes much more than that, church attendance alone is not going to make them disciples. And so True Vine family, let, let's just determine this. Like in blood earnestness, we will not let it happen here. Let's determine it in blood earnestness. I will die before I abdicate the work that God has given me to do. Let's determine that the legacy that we leave, listen, by the grace of God, And he is the only one who can make this happen. This is if he blesses, but we believe that he delights to bless the labors that he tells us to do, that we will raise them up and train them in a way that we leave a legacy of generations to come of followers of Christ and that here where we are, the kingdom of God will expand and not decline. And the single greatest determining factor of that always has been and always will be what we do in our own households, the daily nurturing and raising in the instruction of the scriptures. I had more, but I'm gonna cut shorter here and I'm gonna jump to just one last group that I'll address. To you youth in the room, your day is coming. If the Lord lets you live and flourish, and that's not a guarantee, but if he does, then your day like this will also come. There should be excitement about that. There should be ambition of striking out into your own adventure to live and glorify God. But you need to know that the best plans for your life will not automatically happen. That's one of the greatest misunderstandings about the will of God that exists. This idea that like the best things are all just gonna automatically happen. They're just gonna come about no matter what. L- listen, and I—this is completely opposite of everything you're being told in the self-esteem culture. You could turn out to be a disappointing puddle of mediocrity. Feel good? <laughs> All right. One—one one of the worst things about the self-esteem culture, okay, is that it robs ambition. God put within us this desire for greatness. And if little Johnny, his entire life is just told, Johnny, you're so special, you're amazing. No matter what, he has no ambition to go out there and do something great for the glory of God. So hear me, you could turn out to be a disappointing puddle of mediocrity or your life can count. It can count. It can matter. Like Amy Carmichael big like Jim Elliot Big. But it will not happen without big efforts for your spiritual formation. Give yourself to this. You can waste your life. Fear that. Fear wasting your life. Set your sights and do the work to fulfill the will of God for your life. If your parents are trying to invest in you, don't resist that. Rejoice in that. You probably have no idea how rare it is. But even if your parents are not, then you need to take matters into your own hands. Give yourself to the things that will form you. Don't stop reading, don't stop seeking. Find great preachers who help you understand worldviews, theology, apologetics. Listen to hours of it. Study church history. Memorize books of the Bible. Feed your soul with the truth and never stop praying for God to give you discernment and that he will lead you into the ways that you can glorify him in this life. Train because your day is coming. Follow Christ wholeheartedly and you will not waste your life. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, Lord, I, I pray for the young ones of our congregation um, all the way down, all the way up. Please give grace. We pray for those who are heading off to college. We pray your protection on them, O oh God. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will guard and shield and bless, lead them into the great fulfilling of your beautiful purposes. Grow them in Christ. I pray that they will not fall captive to empty philosophies, but will cling to Christ. God, we pray for the the younger ones in our congregation. Lord, we are asking that you will raise up a great harvest of souls. Father, we pray that out of this church family, you will raise up missionaries. You'll raise up the future pastors here. Father, we pray that you raise up laborers and workers for your kingdom. I pray for the parents, oh Lord, that we will be faithful and diligent and work with excellence, not slackness. God, we pray that you do something great here, that you will bless there to be generations to come, of followers of Christ, and that you will build your church here. And we pray that we get to be used in the process. Father, hallow your name. And we pray these things through Christ. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at True Vine, I-N-D. Or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.